You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. I want to do something different that uh, I haven't done in in sermons before, Uh, but I want to begin with you having your eyes closed, if you wouldn't mind. I'm like them teachers with uh, the heads up, seven up game, like all eyes closed, guys, all eyes closed. Um, I want to begin with asking you to try to recall one of the first times that you saw God come through. I want you to think back to a time where you saw God come through in a way that you knew you could not accomplish on your own, in a way that you knew that was genuinely impossible that he came through. I want you to go deeper into the recesses of your memory and I want you to think back to a time where you had been praying for God to come through and he did. It's so easy for us to remember the many times that we prayed and God had a different answer for us, maybe for somebody's healing, maybe for somebody's salvation. And those times are difficult, maybe not, not a no, but maybe a wait. But there have been times where we've asked God to do something, and we expected God to do something big and impossible, and God said yes. I want you to think back to that time. And now I want you to think, what was your response to that? Like, how did you respond to that moment? What was that like? What was your response like? All right, I want us now, eyes closed still, I want us to try, because some of us have been walking with Jesus so long that our faith has become so sophisticated that we no longer come into the church building with expectation that God would do the impossible. But I want us to begin this service by actually expecting God to do the things that we've been begging him for. And even things that are beyond our imagination and grip. I want us to come in with the expectation that God will meet us here in a tangible and manifest way. Friends, we serve a living God. Yes, he is transcendent, but he is imminent. He is near to the brokenhearted, as my sister claimed. And I want us to come in with an expectation that God will not only transform things out there, but things literally in our hearts today. There's a passage in Ezekiel where he's prophesying about the temple and this prince that would be in the temple. And he said everybody would come in one door and they would come out another door, signifying that people would have to come away from that prince transformed. All right, I want you to join me in a prayer of expectation before we open up God's word. And I believe God is going to do something amazing this evening. Lord and Father, friend, Savior, we come to you humbly this this evening. Lord, I know even for some in this room, the idea of expecting something to happen is far-fetched, a little strange, and for some, 
It's even, dare I say, triggering. Because there were times where we expected you to come through and you didn't come through the way that we desired. And yet, God, I pray that your decision and your answer would not be to us a dictation of your ability, but that we would trust both your goodness and your capability, (laughs) that you can indeed do the impossible as we will see this evening. And we know that you are a God who doesn't change, (laughs) the immutable God, (laughs) the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And therefore, the same power that is at work in this text is at work in this church. And so we come with a faithful expectation of your presence, God. Do what you will. Have your way in this place, God. Make us uncomfortable. Get us a little undignified in this joint. Allow for us to be able to see your presence and put away all of our prerequisites our resume, let us come in low as Mary did so that we can receive something that we never could have imagined, God. And we come with open hands for whatever you have for us, praying these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, apart from your spirit, this is nothing better than a TED Talk. But by the power of your spirit, We are expecting for you to do the impossible. Save someone in this room who doesn't even know right now that they need saving. Save someone in this room who came in knowing that they are far away from you and transform the lives of all. We pray all these things in the master's name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. All God's people say, amen, 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 amen. I wanted to begin uh, this evening with the idea of expectation, because you could really sum up this passage, expectation. (laughs) Um, If I were to entitle this message, I would entitle it, Mercy is on its way. (laughs) But the fact that mercy is on its way means something to someone who is expectant and means nothing to someone who is not. Expectancy, it makes all the difference in the world. (laughs) And I believe that we should have a healthy, a healthy, not a word of faith, name it and claim it, but a healthy biblical expectation when we come into these church walls. Why? Because we are the gathered people of God and the spirit of God is amongst us. What we see in this text is someone who is expectant. Somebody say expectant. And all of us know what expectation is. Either we've experienced it ourselves or we've seen someone else who has experienced it. Because literally when someone is pregnant, we call it them expecting. (laughs) And I remember when we were expecting our third child, my baby boy, Jonathan Isaac. (laughs) And it was one of those moments in our lives that we will never forget. We had two older children, Aaron and Zipporah. And then... We had been basically on a hiatus. And it was, you know, one of those things that we made a decision simply out of fear. It was understandable fear, our older two children, 
had gone through a lot of hospitalizations younger. And so we said, man, we probably want to hold off on having another child. And we moved to Des Moines, Iowa, Des Moines of all places. <laughs> yes, a black couple and a black family can move to Des Moines, Iowa. God, God does it all, yo. <laughs> We're in Des Moines, Iowa, and the pastor I was co-pastoring with began to pray for my wife and I to begin to open our hearts once again to maybe, maybe God would want us to have another child. It was our desire, but we were afraid. And through prayers, we finally said yes. And I don't know if anybody's ever been here. We're like, all right, yes, God, we will follow you into faith. And we did. And lo and behold, we came back and we were pregnant with another child and we're excited. We're like, yes, God, you answered our prayers. And then boom, we had a miscarriage. We're like, okay, it's a blow. Cried our eyes out, cried our hearts out. All right, we stir up some more faith and expectation and God blesses us with another child. We're pregnant again and Another miscarriage, back to back in the same year. And I literally said to God, I can't do this again. I can't do it again. We will try this one last time. If we lose this one, can't go back. God blessed us with Jonathan. And I'll never forget, we got the pregnancy test. My wife calls me into the bathroom. She's like, yo, it's positive. But it's not the same excitement that we had that first time. Y'all know what it is now. If anybody's ever been through miscarriage, this time you're like, we're pregnant. I think this is good news. Maybe we should tell a friend. And so we wait and we wait and we wait after that announcement to just me and her and just a couple of friends that were pregnant. And then we go to the doctors for what? Confirmation. We get to see and the, the, the baby and we get to hear the heart beating and, and it's confirmed. And so then we have some friends who throw us a gender reveal party. And this is the first time we ever did that because when we was in North Philly, we was broke. <laughs> we didn't do nothing like that. So we, I, didn't even, I didn't even know what a gender reveal party was, yo. I thought, you know, you had the baby shower, but we had a gender reveal party. And I remember having a backboard because I'm super into hoops. And they had this little thing that we would throw at the backboard and it would either, you know, explode blue or pink and it exploded blue. And what happened after the announcement, then there was confirmation. And now what happens? There's celebration. <laughs> we celebrate now expecting that God is about to do something amazing by giving birth to this child. If these were the three primary phases, announcement, confirmation, celebration that we see with the expectation of a son, then these are definitely going to be the three phases that we are going to see with the expectation of the son. In this text, we're going to see a beautiful, wonderful announcement. My boy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jonathan. I know you can hear us talk about you, man. <laughs> you see a beautiful announcement, and then you see confirmation, and then there is this wonderful celebration. And what I want us to have in our hearts as we go through this text this morning, this evening, is a genuine sense of expectation that the words that we are reading are not a fairy tale. 
but that this is a real event in human history. And if God can do the impossible, then he could do it once again. <laughs> Meet me in the announcement in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Lazarus. <laughs> Somebody say Nazareth. <laughs> now I want to tell you a little bit about Nazareth. <laughs> uh, Nazareth reminds me of North Philly and Galilee reminds me of Philly as a whole. <laughs> Uh, we got a saying in Philly, all of Philly is hood. <laughs> North Philly really hood. <laughs> all of Galilee was hood. <laughs> Nazareth, the birthplace or the, the, the growing up place, the raising place of your Savior was really hood. <laughs> and so God, think about this, the God of the universe. We ain't talking about the president of the United States. We're talking about the God of the universe sends Gabriel, his greatest ambassador, to go and see about a little town called Nazareth. That's like the president of the United States sending his greatest ambassador to North Philly. Not to get another vote, but literally to make an announcement of good news. So we're already seeing something that's kind of backwards. But then we see verse 27. And this is what you need to underline to a virgin, a virgin, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. There are four things the, that the writer Luke wants you to know about this lady. He wants you to know that she is a virgin. And that's not young woman, as it's been twisted to say. That is, she has never, never been sexually intimate with a man. He wants you to feel the impossibility of what's about to happen. Next thing he wants you to know is her status. She's engaged, which makes sense why Joseph is like, yo, what's good? <laughs> and what that does is helps us to realize again that this ain't no fairy tale. This really happened. Joseph has the same realistic reaction to what he sees as you would. Say, that ain't possible. <laughs> Don't sell me a bill of goods. And many of us who have been walking with Jesus long enough have that kind of a faith. We believe, but at a distance. But then, he wants you, also wants you to know her heritage. <laughs> it's almost like as quickly as he wants you to know her status, he wants you to know her heritage. She is of the son of David. And it's, it's been literally said by many scholars that not only is Joseph from the lineage of David, but it seems as though Luke is trying to say in an offhanded way that Mary probably is as well. It's almost like God didn't want to leave no doubt. This is the Messiah of the lineage of David. <laughs> but the last thing, the last thing, the last thing, the last thing, the last thing. See her virginity, her status, her heritage. I think this is the part we always skip over. Her name. Her name. I was just doing research on what does the name Miriam mean or Mary mean? And like people are confused on whether it means bitterness or beloved. <laughs> How you get that confused? <laughs> How in the world can it be bitterness or beloved? <laughs> 
And what I love about that confusion of that name is actually that this is kind of a depiction of the life of Mary. And what she doesn't know is going to be the depiction of the son she's about to give birth to. Because the way in which belovedness would come to the earth would be through the bitterness that the son would have to experience. Mary. And then, put all of this in the context of everything that's going on in Judea at the time. See, we've been, you know, taught in school about Rome and how wonderful of an empire Rome is. But in reality, Rome was an oppressive regime to the Jews. At this time, they would pillage the marginalized in the Jewish community. You know, that old cross, that old rugged cross where there were many old rugged crosses at the time. And it was almost as though Rome would put out people on these crosses just to say to the Jewish people, remember who's in charge. And on top of all of this, women are being raped. And kids are being taken away from their families. Friends, I'll never understand it all. But when God decided to send his son into the world, he did not send him into a peachy king place. This was far from utopia. He sent him into darkness. And it's almost as though Think Genesis 1 right now. In the midst of the darkness and the void, God being silent for over 400 years, God sends an ambassador with a message. And what does the messenger say? What's up, oh favored one? <laughs> Would you be caught off guard too? What would be your, your natural reaction to this? Knowing all that's going on in Rome, what would be your natural reaction? Knowing all the injustices that are being experienced, what would be your natural reaction? Oh, favored one? Lord, we are far from favored. And yet, this messenger just keeps going. <laughs> He wants to say three primary things to Mary. He wants to say literally that the Lord is for you and the Lord is with you. And then one other thing that he holds off on. Because he doesn't just say you're favored, but he says that the Lord is with you. That the presence of the Lord is near you and the favor of the Lord is upon you. And I don't know if anybody else feels unfavored, but if you are found in Jesus Christ by grace through faith, this is not just true of Mary, it's true of you too. God is for you and God is with you. Now that might not be mean too much to you, that's probably why you ain't shouting yet. Because you had other friends who were for you and with you. But it makes all the difference in the world who is for and with you. And it really makes a difference when that person who is for and with you is actually a difference maker. So he, he's not saying, you know, your own homie is for you and with you. He's saying the Lord, the God who spoke the universe into existence. The God said, let there be light. And scientists still trying to figure out now what in the world is light? 
And our God just, <laughs> yo, light. <like, laughs> and scientists is bugged out now, light. <laughs> that God is for you and with you. See, there's a difference between having a student on your side and having the teacher on your side. The student is just a classmate. The teacher runs the class. It's the difference between having a basketball player on your side and having the team owner on your side. The basketball player on the team, the owner runs the team. And there is a massive difference between having the approval of man and having the approval of God. Man lives on earth. God runs the earth. The text says that the Lord is for you and with you. And notice Mary's response. It ain't one immediately of jubilation. It's one of trepidation. She is afraid. And this is consistent throughout all of Scripture that when God shows up, people get terrified, y'all. And I think we have like beautified it, pacified it, put some makeup on it. You know what I'm saying? I know Rihanna got her own line out there. So we put some, you know, all of that on it because we don't like the idea of fear. So we say like, no, nah, it's just, you know, a healthy respect. <laughs> Y'all heard it. <laughs> you know, I, I really respect God. <laughs> you don't need your respect. <laughs> no, she's terrified. <laughs> and she's in great company. Prophets terrified. But I love it. If you actually fear the Lord, then the Lord's immediate response is always, don't be afraid. <laughs> Why? For I'm with you. And this is the one that's the shocker, <laughs> okay? So she's looking at Gabriel, they're having this conversation. I'm sure she's like, all right, this is hard to believe that I'm favored and the Lord is with me because this was so unexpected. But now it shifts <laughs> because then he says, <laughs> notice the text. He says, <laughs> it's almost like the angels like, just, <laughs> I ain't worried about what you said, Mary, verse 31. <laughs> and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and, he, and you shall call his name Jesus. Hold up. Now, before it was hard to believe because it was unexpected. Now I'm saying, Gabriel, how can you expect me to believe this? <laughs> because this is impossible. <laughs> And not only does he say, Yo, you're going to have a child, but look at what he says about him. He says, you're going to call his name Jesus, verse 32. He will be called great, the son of the most high, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. This is your hallelujah moment. There is no end. Yeah. Y'all going to have to pray for it, brother. I've been on a wonderful trip. I have seen things from the Lord, so I'm hyping the pulpit right now. But there's nothing that gets me more excited than when we talk about Jesus. Three things that he says he will be called. Savior, Son of God, Son of David. You know what this speaks to? This speaks to the Messiah's duty, the Messiah's deity, and the Messiah's, and I love this word, the Messiah's dynasty. 
The name Jesus literally means the Lord saves or more literally, the Lord is salvation. In other words, Jesus will be so synonymous with his act of saving that you can literally say that he is salvation itself. And if you don't believe me, my man Simeon would say it when he dedicates Jesus in the temple. My eyes have seen your salvation and he ain't staring at nothing but a little child. He is our salvation. And there are many of you in here right now who functionally, functionally, not theologically, but functionally have other saviors. And we all run to this often, don't we? We know theologically he's our savior. You know our get out of hell free card. But in the right here, right now, y'all know I need my WebMD first, right? <laughs> Will Smith, what you, what you got to tell me about marriage, bro? <laughs> and we run to our functional saviors. But here's the good news, y'all ready? Here's the good news. <laughs> Those guys might try to save. <laughs> but there ain't no way in the world you could put on them the name salvation. <laughs> the Jesus you know, who you place your faith and confidence in, his name is salvation. <laughs> Jesus saves. Next thing that you would call it is the son of the highest. And I like this because I'm a basketball head. And I don't know if y'all been following uh, LeBron James's kids. <laughs> One of his younger sons just dunked for the first time in front of his pops and it's gone viral. Everybody should know about Bronny James. That's his older son. And he's supposed to be, you know, a trajected to be in the NBA soon. And his dad is hoping to stick around just long enough until he can actually play ball with his son. That's crazy. <laughs> But we've all seen this, especially in the internet day and age where you have this son who's projected to be just like their dad and they never quite pan out. Oh, I love King Jesus. Because King Jesus has the name of his dad, but he also has his nature. <laughs> so there ain't no letdowns here. I mean, think about the announcement. This is bigger than Bronny James going to a college team. <laughs> Angel Gabriel comes to the, to the world is like, yo, the king's about to come. <laughs> you know, the God who made the universe, his son, <laughs> on his way. <laughs> announcement goes viral and all of that, and we're hoping that he's going to be. And the question is, are, is he going to let us down? And the answer is no, sir. <laughs> he lives up to the hype. Son of the highest, but also son of David, a dynasty that will never go away. Y'all know dynasties rise and fall. Rome, rise and fall. Babylon, rise and fall. The Patriots. <laughs> Sorry. I've been waiting so long to get at the Patriots, man. <laughs> rise and fall, huh? <laughs> The kingdom of God rises and rises and rises some more. And so, 
After making this announcement, we have Mary's response. (laughs) Mary said to the angel, verse 34, I'm in the text, how will this be since I am a virgin? (laughs) She's just as confused as we are. And notice what what it says, verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit. Could have just put a period there. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. It's almost like the angel Gabriel, he's like, I know I'm preaching. (laughs) But he, you know how preachers do. You gotta, you almost gotta, gotta anticipate the questions. (laughs) So he anticipates, even after he's get done preaching, giving this wonderful announcement, giving the gospel, he has to anticipate, he's probably going to still have questions. So then he says, verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, greatest understatement in the, in the world, is in her old age, as also conceived. <laughs> we passed by that so quickly, yo. <laughs> this is Elizabeth. Golden girls meet the the maternity ward. (laughs) Stuff like this don't happen. So if you need some convincing, go hit up your cousin. She already seeing impossible things happen. And it says, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing, 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 nothing will be impossible with God. Somebody need to hear that. Nothing will be impossible with God. I remember when I was uh, first introduced to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I was introduced by my grandmother at four years old. She said the gospel of me helped me to understand grace. You know, back then it wasn't like just Jesus loves you. Yeah, we're going to get there. But if you don't believe, you're going to die and go to hell. <laughs> That's how I heard the gospel. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> y'all laughing. It worked. <laughs> like, I don't want no parts. <laughs> so I turned immediately <laughs> to faith in Christ at four. And I think that was really realized when I was 14. But I remember there was something different about my grandmother's faith. Because every single time I would go back to Tallulah, Louisiana, I would just hear stories of things that God had done in her life. My grandmother's not wealthy. My grandmother will never be wealthy. But my grandmother has something that I remember immediately longing for. She had a real and tangible relationship with God and it was manifest in her life. And my grandmother saw the impossible. Pray for all her, her kids to come to Christ. And they were far away from Jesus. They're now all walking with the Lord today. Now listen, listen, listen. This ain't a bag on y'all because some of y'all praying just like that. I applaud y'all for praying like that. What I'm talking to is those of us, and it feels like it's something, I don't know, Isaac, maybe it's just me, maybe it's in our reform circles, but we just stop believing that God will do stuff. So we pray quiet, safe prayers. 
as though we don't have in the scriptures an example like the three Hebrew boys who said we are confident that God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, we will not stop serving him. It's already built into our faith, the sovereignty of God. So pray expectantly. He don't need your help in choosing his decisions. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure God's thinking that if I get this, I probably won't actually serve him. Stop that. You're not that smart. Pray like you're needy. And I'm telling you, we might not see every prayer answered with a yes. But if you got, what, 200 strong in here? Praying them kind of prayers? Oh, I'm certain we're going to see some crazy stuff, y'all. And when you pray for the impossible and the impossible, and the impossible gets accomplished, you got nowhere to look but up. And that's exactly how God wants it. That was the announcement. We need to have Mary's response. What did she say? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Does anybody else want that response to the announcement of good news? All right. Confirmation. Section's much smaller. We're going to run through this part. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was, here it is, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of who? My Lord. He ain't even done nothing yet. And she already says, sovereign, blessed, and the mother of my Lord should come to me. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Do you see what happens? Elizabeth sees Mary coming. Any women been pregnant in the, in the building before and had a baby kick? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, I'm like, yo, I know there's kids in here. All right, cool, all right. It has, has to happen some kind of way, you know what I mean? All right. So I remember the first time we had Aaron, the baby kicked. My wife was so excited. Her excitement wasn't nothing compared to mine when I could actually feel that job. It's like, yo, something's happening in here. But here's what's beautiful about this text. And can I just say as a side note, just as side note, this is the fetus inside of Elizabeth. And the text is saying that the fetus is responding to the glory of Jesus, not just Elizabeth. Can we just say something real quick? That in and of itself lets you know that these are two separate souls. <laughs> Jump back in the text. <laughs> so the baby leaps, the baby leaps, the baby leaps. 
But the baby doesn't have words yet. And you know what babies do? They only communicate in the way that they've been given the ability to communicate. So babies do what? They cry because all they can do to communicate is cry. And before that, what do they do? They kick. That's all they can do. It's almost as though this was a precursor to John the Baptist going out and saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He can't say no words yet, so he just, that's him. <laughs> Can I just say this to us? Y'all seem like some smart folks in this building. <laughs> All right, get ready, y'all. <laughs> May we never be out worshiped by a fetus. I believe our faith has become way too dignified. I go overseas. I don't care what type of church I'm in. It could be a Catholic church. It could be a Presbyterian church, Orthodox church, Pentecostal church. Them jokers know how to celebrate. (laughs) And if we can learn in contemplation, surely we can leap in celebration. (laughs) So, They have this confirmation moment. The baby leaps, celebrates, it goes crazy. Elizabeth's excited, everybody's excited. And then it's almost as though the spotlight hits Mary and now it's time to see her response. And remember all that was going on in Rome at the time. There is local suffering. There is personal suffering. There is regional suffering. There is nothing but darkness, darkness, darkness. And now she has heard the announcement of mercy, almost like light bursting through the darkness. And here's the question on the table. How do you respond when light bursts through the darkness, bringing clarity in the midst of chaos, certainty in the midst of confusion? What do you do? Mary got it. And she pins the most beautiful words in Greek. Megalune, esuhe, muton, kurion. My soul magnifies the Lord. She excited, y'all. This idea of magnifying is a beautiful word. Y'all know what it is when y'all was kids. Maybe it was just me. We ain't had much to do. Get out the magnifying glasses. Y'all know what it is. Sunny day. I'm, I'm starting to fire, dog. Best believe it. It's something we love about things that magnify things. But there was something else we used to play with as kids, and they were called binoculars. Anybody used to play with binoculars? And I say play with them because nobody ever used those for real, for real. It was always a toy, always a toy. And so what would you do with the binoculars? You would never just use it the right way because you didn't know how to focus it well. You know what you do. Flip that bad boy upside down. And you see everything a little bit smaller, right? All eyes here. This is exactly what sin did to our hearts. It flipped the binoculars of our souls upside down so that we would see God much smaller than he actually is. 
And Mary is proclaiming in this text, something has happened in my soul where something has been flipped right side up again, and I'm seeing the Lord for who he is once more. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is celebration. And this song of celebration can be broken down in three parts. She celebrates who God is. My soul magnifies the Lord. My, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Once again, an aside, if anybody thought Mary was sinless, why is she celebrating a Savior? Back into the text. <laughs> she celebrates who he is, but then she celebrates what he does. And there's two things that she wants to specifically talk about in terms of what he does. She wants to talk about what he does with his eyes and what he does with his arm. What does he do with his eyes? He says this, for he has looked upon. Somebody say looked. Say it like you mean to say looked. One more time, say looked. It says he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy, his mercy, his mercy, his mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him. Not, I pay respect to Jesus. <laughs> fear him. Fear him. Fear him from generation to generation. Mary is blown away that, here it is, that God saw her. One of the things I love about Luke's gospel in particular is that you, as you just journey through Luke's gospel, you'll see the sovereign God who becomes a man who does this over and over and over again. The text will not just say Jesus heals. It won't just say he said something. The text will consistently say these words, and Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. Woo! Do you know what it means that the eyes of the Lord would see you? Some of y'all are literally trying to post out the wazoo. Hour by hour posting just so somebody in the world will notice you. And the text is saying if you are in Jesus Christ, he doesn't just notice you. His eyes are fixated upon you. He sees you. He sees your sin, he sees your suffering, and in the midst of both, he says, you are my baby girl and you are my son. Eyes of the Lord are on the brokenhearted, the needy, the marginalized. And I love that she uses this word, tapenas, which means humble. And it's a word that we have made really cute in our culture. Yeah, let's be humble, you know, humble brag, hashtag, you know what I'm saying? But humility in the Roman culture was like a cuss word, y'all. There was nothing cute about humility. What, <laughs> this is what I love about Christian culture, yo. Jesus and the apostles made humility dope. Because <laughs> it wasn't. But in the kingdom of God, 
That is the proper posture of anyone who is ready to receive God's grace. I love what Crawford Larissa said. He said, I have never seen an arrogant convert. We get arrogance after Christianity once we get saved, and we get arrogance before. But in that moment of conversion, you know what it is. I got nothing, Lord. Save me. That moment, God saves. Why? Because the ready position for reception of anything is lowliness. Y'all know what it is? Have you ever seen a football game? Somebody is ready to receive the kick. The kick returner is ready to receive a kick. Where's he at? Low. Tennis player ready to receive the volley. Low. Basketball player ready to literally get the ball. Low. Come down to your street. A doctor ready to receive the baby from the mother's womb. Low. Friends, the ready position for receiving grace is lowliness. And Mary gets that. But not only what he does with his eyes, but what he does with his arm. (laughs) Now y'all gonna have to help me here. He has shown, verse 51, the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is in a nutshell. He confused the proud. That's verse 51. He has demoted the mighty. He has promoted the humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry and he has emptied the rich. Can I tell you what all of this is in one word? Here it is. Here it is. Equity. That sounds like a catchword in our culture right now. This text is saying, if you want real equity, don't go to what the society names justice. Go to the one who is the savior named Jesus. Because he is going to bring down the mountains and he was going to bring up the valleys so that there is genuine equity. That's what this king does. And then, and then, after seeing all these things that he does with his arm, she then gets to why he does it. And this is where I'm getting ready to land this plane. I need you to, with all of your might, with all of your heart, And with all of your mind, try to hear what is being said in this part of the passage. Read this with me in verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, here it is, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Did you catch this? That the reason God is doing all of this is because he remembers a promise he made in the past. In other words, Mary is recognizing in this song that if he said it, he gonna get it done. Every promise is fulfilled. Every word is accomplished. It's almost like that thunder and lightning, right? You see that lightning? Y'all know what it is. What's coming? What's coming? That thunder. 
And it's almost like the reverse of that. When you hear the thunder of his word, you will see the lightning of his action. He remembered his mercy. And this is said throughout all of scripture, but here's one place that is said more than anywhere else. And I want you to just see this with me in the text and then we could praise God, sing some songs and get out the way. This is Habakkuk. And yes, I said Habakkuk. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I'm like, what? <laughs> just made that book up. I didn't, I promise. It's in there. Habakkuk chapter three, verse two says this. It says, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O oh Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. He's basically saying at the right time, do this, do your thing. In the midst of the years, make it known and wrath, remember mercy. Did y'all catch that? In wrath, remember mercy? You do know what wrath is, right, Habakkuk? Wrath is the righteous indignation of God. So why in the world would you have the audacity for, to ask for God's mercy in the midst of God's wrath? Well, it's because Habakkuk knows what Mary knows, knows what hopefully you know by now through just hearing this sermon that there ain't going to be nothing impossible with God. <laughs> See, in human terms, it don't make no sense. <laughs> you can't have wrath and mercy at the same time. But we ain't dealing with human knowledge. We ain't dealing with human wisdom. And hear me, we ain't dealing with a human gospel. <laughs> in wrath, remember mercy. This is only what God has always been doing. Don't believe me? Check Genesis 3. Adam and Eve rebel against God. They incur the righteous wrath. But in the middle of all that, God says, but I'm going to cover you. And I'm going to give you a promise that the one who calls all this stuff, he's going to be crushed by your seed. And wrath, remember mercy. Genesis 6, all the world was evil. All the world was evil. And yet he looked at Noah and he said, but I'm going to leave a remnant. Come on, build an ark when you ain't even seen a raindrop. <laughs> Noah says yes. And God, from eight people that were saved in the ark, literally repopulates the entire world. In wrath, he remembered mercy. Come check out David. Y'all know the sins of David. The pillaging of a young woman. Taking away her dignity, her purity. Literally, the text says that she was in the middle of purifying herself for the Lord. And not only does he do that in order to kill his guilt, he goes and kills somebody else. And God sends the prophet Nathan and Nathan ain't coming to David like, you know, it's all good. Got a word from the Lord for you. Greatness is upon your life. No. He says, you're the man. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And God says, you are going to lose this child, but I'm going to raise you up a new one who is actually going to sit on your throne. And wrath, 
he remembered mercy. And I could go on and on and on and on, but I hope you know that there's one place where we see this more than ever. (laughs) Because at that cross, we got wrath and mercy again. But in this time, it's not simply in wrath, remember mercy, no sir. It's by wrath he poured out mercy. (laughs) Because on the cross, Christ received nothing but wrath, no mercy. So that you could receive all mercy and no wrath. In wrath, he remembered mercy. Mercy is on its way. No, for us, the privileged one, mercy has already come. The question is, have you embraced it yet? But listen, I ain't come to preach about no dead savior. Because yes, on the cross in wrath, he he remembered mercy. Pouring out his wrath on Christ, remembering mercy for you. But after dying and being buried in a tomb, something else happened. And this is where I get excited. And this is where I'm like, can we be like John the Baptist in the womb and leap a little bit? Because here is the good news. That the way that we know that mercy is actually extended to us is what happened three days later. I love preaching Advent messages about when Jesus' life birthed forth through the womb. But I want you to know that our life began not when he burst forth through the womb, but when he burst forth through the tomb. When he broke out and literally rose again to new life, that's when our life began. And so I want to end with this illustration. And I need you to hear the heaviness of this because I think we do too much pacifying so we don't get the heart of the gospel. Y'all do know that the work of giving birth is really ugly. (laughs) We can beautify it all we want. (laughs) I've been there. Ain't pretty. My wife has hurt me. (laughs) Can I get an amen from some brother? (laughs) But it's because of all the pain she was going through. It was violent. We just be real, it was bloody. But on the other side of that violence and bloodiness comes forth a beautiful miracle that we can't stop celebrating. Oh, friends, this is nothing but a pointer to the cross of Calvary where there was great violence and there was all that precious blood. But on the other side of that violence and that bloodiness, through the resurrection of our King, We know that mercy has now come and hear me and it's coming again. So I don't know where you're weary hearted. I don't know what sin you brought in this this evening. I don't know what pain is sitting on your chest. But I do know this, that if mercy has already burst forth through the tomb and he's given us the promise that he's coming again, we can know for a certainty that mercy, mercy, Mercy is on its way. Amen? 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 Why don't we go ahead and stand on our feet and let's pray out to our King. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness.
Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the men and women under the sound of my voice who have heard your gospel and believed it. Lord, we need your mercy. We are not sitting here arrogantly. We need you, God, and I am so thankful. I am thankful for your spirit, God. I am thankful for your spirit, God. I am thankful for your spirit, God, through which we have received this mercy. I know, I know that it's nothing but the grace of your son that I even responded to that mercy. Lord, our natural bent is to reject your mercy. But thank you that you've given us the grace to receive it, Lord. And I pray right now, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who has not yet received that mercy, that today, today, today is the day of salvation. And they will receive that mercy today. Lord, we love you so much. And we pray that you will receive our worship. It's all in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All God's people say, amen, 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 amen. Thank you.